0: This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they are successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So, Angela, today we're going to talk to Lauren Voswinkel. She is a developer with Living Social, and she's also the founder, I guess, of the movement Hashtag TalkPay. And so we get into a whole bunch of stuff about... Uh, kind of getting started in programming, what it's like to be a more experienced programmer, and then we dive into a long, awesome conversation about hashtag TalkPay.
1: Yeah, and it's really epic. But before we get into that, I want to let you know how you can support Women's Tech Radio. You can go to patreon.com forward slash today. That supports the entire network, but specifically, it also helps Women's Tech Radio. And you can donate as little as a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month, you know, like a coffee or a beer. (laughs) A bottle of wine is a little more expensive, like maybe ten or eleven dollars. At least mine is. (laughs) Sponsor
0: Angela's Mountain Dew Addiction.
1: Yes. Actually, there you go. Yeah. About two dollars for a twenty ounce Mountain Dew. So (laughs) if you'd like to support the network, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash
0: today. And we get started with this week's episode by asking Lauren to describe what she's into and uh, where she is in her career.
2: What I'm doing today, it's actually, I am in Portland going to Open Source Bridge because I Gave a talk about performance profiling with uh, gperf tools in uh, on Tuesday, uh, which went really well. But um, that's not my normal day to day. My normal day to day is working remotely out of Pittsburgh with the company Living Social as a senior web developer. So that is far more average, My average day.
0: Both of those days sound pretty awesome to me. So, what stack do you work in for uh, for your web development with Living Social?
2: So I primarily work with Ruby on Rails that that's typically what, what we're dealing with, although, um, we started recently doing things with closure, basically working on making, uh, certain web services that allow you to handle much higher loads than, uh, than a Ruby service would. So basically I'm trying to learn that as we as we push forward. So, but primarily, it's uh, Ruby on Rails and some amount of JavaScript.
0: So this is a, a an interesting question. I have a lot of kind of young ladies that I'm mentoring as they're getting into their development career, and they all want to know, like, you know, should I learn multiple languages? Do I dive in? You know, I usually say, you know, you're going to have to learn multiple languages over your career. As someone who's kind of doing that sort of shift now where you're shifting your mental aspects, like, how would you encourage like a young person or how does it affect your day to day to have to be in Rails and then over enclosure and maybe back again to Rails?
2: So for me, it's not that big of a problem, but I would like when I'm teaching someone how to, to get into development and, and whatnot, I typically want to see them like get really good with one particular language first because of how transferable that knowledge is typically like. Learning Ruby or Python or what have you will basically get you really, really solidly started on knowing object oriented principles and whatnot, which will allow you to switch over to say Java or uh, C sharp or PHP or what have you. So like, rather than just kind of branching out into a whole bunch of different languages, my my advice would be to learn one language really well because that'll help you pick up other languages as time goes on and then it also gives you a little bit of an appreciation for the the different the differences between different languages which is kind of funny because one of the main things that people that we teach girl develop at pittsburgh is like web development and it's actually really interesting watching how difficult it is for people to get into html and css development specifically because of the the multiple language switching back and forth like it's very easy to get confused by switching from the the markup syntax of html over to to css and there's a lot of confusion between like oh like wait so i don't do i don't do the curly braces here these are the 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 angle brackets so Wait, you mean I, I have to do surround this in quotes? Why don't I have to do that in CSS? So like those small little differences tend to add up if you don't, don't have like a solid grounding in one of them. So that's why I kind of recommend people just focus on one at a time, but switching between after you get comfortable for me is not that big of a problem, even though uh, like most other developers, I spend the majority of my time looking up like syntaxes and whatnot in like the documentation. So you never kind of get like this uh, at least it feels like you never get this degree of comfort where you can just like know all of the the libraries for a particular language and you never have to look anything up there's always those moments of like wait what method did i want on this object again? is it i do i have a zip function for a hash or how does that even work and so you're constantly looking things up and so another thing that i try to encourage in people is the fact that, like, there is no shame in looking things up or not knowing something. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You know, you can be a professional developer, you're still going to be going to the documentation because a year from now, they're going to add new things to your language or take old things out. And, you know, it doesn't matter, even if you're in just one language for forever, it's going to change.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, you've you've learned multiple languages, you've clearly been doing this a while. How How did you get into it? Were you kind of the nerdy kid who was always taking things apart? Um, What's your story?
2: My story was that I got, my family got a computer when I was fairly young. I want to say like eight or something. And I really, really enjoyed playing video games on the computer. The problem with that was that a lot of the games that, that I wanted to play required like special configurations and whatnot. So... I would invariably start fiddling around in like the command line, trying to get a DOS game to run and it'd be like, Oh, we need more extended memory or extended RAM or what have you. And just trying to figure out like what that even meant and just fiddling with settings so much so that I would end up breaking the computer and then have to start playing a game of fix the computer before mom and dad get home. (laughs) I have definitely participated in that game. Yeah. So, uh, that, like that trial and error, that like constant, uh, push to, to like, want to figure something out is really what, uh, what pushed me to enjoy working with computers so much that early on, like understanding that failure is not a bad thing per se is something that I think was key to, to being able to be comfortable with learning, uh, programming in later in. High school to a a small degree and then in college after that because whenever you're doing anything with computers you're going to fail quite a bit and it's perfectly fine if you do like the the cost to, to make mistakes in programming is typically very small uh you just need to change some text and you're you fix something instead of wasting like canvas or or paints or various other materials so I often encourage people to, to fail quickly and get used to that feeling.
0: I think that's really interesting that you make the analogy with art because I actually come from an art background um, and uh, in theater and our, our mistakes are much more costly because there's materials, there's a lot more time and a lot more people involved. Um, but there's this paradigm that Samuel Beckett, the playwright kind of gave that's, uh, the quote is risk fail, risk again, fail be- fail better, fail faster, it's something in that nature. But like. And this is a prevailing attitude in the arts that, like, go ahead, take risks, and and fail, and that's okay. And then we we don't bring that over into programming, where failure is so much less costly.
2: Yeah. So so there's there's kind of an irony to that because there's the the paradigm in startup culture of like uh, move fast, break stuff, which is kind of lampooned in a lot of uh, a lot of circles that that I'm in, and like people more. Diversity minded and what have you so so that's kind of funny because there is that like that thing of like oh We can just like keep moving and break stuff and then like a couple months down the line Just be like wait We just painted ourselves into a corner and that's when the mistakes become a little bit more expensive when you have systems That you are that people are relying on and it's like okay well now that there's people relying on this can we change this and the answer typically in those situations is no so usually taking, taking the time to, to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes as quickly as possible is, is by and far the, the better option. But again, because of how cheap it is to fail with relation to tech, it's not that big of a problem.
1: Well, I would really like to get into this whole movement of your hashtag talk pay. Can you tell our audience about that?
2: Talk pay was something that started at Cascadia Ruby last year. It was I I ended up having discussions with people about how imbalanced the relationship between workers and employers tends to be, particularly with re- with relation to pay and pay negotiation, mostly because employers tend to have all of these various resources that give them an idea of how much they should be paying for for a particular type of talent whereas individual workers don't have access to that information and so i i kind of have a a more socialist leaning bent which is like still like a dirty word in this country for terrible reasons. But the conversations that I was having with people led me to do a lightning talk, which is a like short form five minute talk about openly sharing salaries. And so I got on stage in front of everybody and like laid out this this spiel about how in a capitalistic society, basically, uh, our goal as individuals should be to make as much money as possible, because of the system that we're put in where that behavior is encouraged. And so because corporations and companies are looking to make as much money as possible, they are actively engaging in an antagonistic relationship with their employees. They want to pay employees as little as possible that still has them feel like they're being well compensated so they don't move on to somewhere else. And so I kind of uh, told people like in a salary negotiation to Absolutely avoid talking about past salaries. And then, if they if they are staunchly saying like, no, we need to have past salary information in order to be able to give you a number, then I my suggestion was to basically lie about it. Mostly because of various like privacy laws in place, an employer cannot contact a past employer to uh, obtain that information due to it being uh, due to the pay structures being. Uh, potentially company secrets, um, which is part of the the case law from uh, various labor lawsuits and whatnot. But anyway, like I I laid out all of this information and then gave like details about my my career, the fact that like I'm based in Pittsburgh, working for a DC company. I have like 10 years of experience. I have attended numerous workshops to work on my my code quality. I helped teach with uh, Girl Develop It. And I then gave my salary in front of everybody, which I mean for the sake of transparency, uh, is 120,000. It's a little bit more than that now, but it's like at the time it was 120,000. And I just said that into this room of, of technologists about like 300 of them or so, and then also asked for other people in the audience to do the same. Uh, and there was probably I want to say there was probably like a good, 15 people that immediately wanted to, to share that information. And it just started this conversation about like, uh, why we don't talk about pay more often. And it basically, uh, started a couple of conversations where some, where uh, a woman came up to me and started talking about how she was managing someone and she was a, a developer as well. So she was basically like a senior a a far more senior developer that was managing the team as well. And she learned that one of her employees that she was managing was making like $20,000 more than her. And how like if everybody was sharing this information that could not be allowed to happen, it would be obvious that like people are getting, uh, for lack of a better term, screwed out of literally tens of thousands of dollars of pay. And Typically, that ends up marginalized people significantly more um, yeah. women, people of color, et cetera, so on and so forth, because of the the social upbringing that we're brought into. That kind of says that people who are in underrepresented groups tend to appear to be pushy or like greedy if they ask for more money. So that like discourages women and people of color from asking for more money in a negotiation phase
0: there's also the balance there of like if you are somebody who grows up in a minority environment or as a woman you're you're not encouraged to do that but if you grow up like i was listening to this story on the tim Ferriss podcast with the guy who founded wordpress and he was like yeah you know i was doing yeah. my thing and i was a high school dropout or maybe just graduated high school and i was a programmer and some guy you know was mentoring me and he was like you have to go down to this place and tell them that you want no less than It was like some ungodly, some like $200 an hour to do coding and he had no work experience and he was 19. And granted it was about in the boom, but like that he just went out there and did that because he, you know, was encouraged to do it. And it was expected of him as, you know, a successful like blue collar white male in that area at that time. And I don't think like, I've had so many discussions with women who are like, well, how much should I charge? Like even just freelancing and like Trying to talk someone into charging more than $20 an hour is like right. a painful conversation.
2: Yeah. Interestingly enough, I had, I've had i had this conversation a couple times at Open Source Bridge this year because of like the stuff with TalkPay and how I act, like actively like push people to, make, to ask for more money. And one person that I was encountering was like, oh, well, I, I was thinking about asking for this much because like, I'm a junior developer because I only have two years of experience. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you feel like you're a junior developer? And she's just like, I don't, I I only have two years of experience. I'm like, there are people out there that are getting like senior jobs with two levels of experience, two years of experience. So like you asking, you basically putting yourself in that box is like inherently eliminating what you're doing also then like I went through some of the skills that she has and she was, and I was just like, those are like managerial level skills as far as like a senior developer goes. You're basically taking product requirements and breaking them down into, into bite-sized tasks that a team could then easily act upon. Like that is a senior level skill. Like do not sell yourself short. But again, it's like women and people of color are basically taught to constantly undersell themselves. And that has huge impacts. On their pay over the long term, put on top of that, that so many employers base the salary that they offer on your previous salary, it leads to like this really terrible multiple multi point impact where they're paid less when they first start working and they continue to sell themselves short and then also are affected by the fact that they undersold themselves in their first couple of jobs. It's just, yeah, it's a spiral. It is this really terrible cycle. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, the whole thing of like how culture impacts this, how history impacts this, how, you know, capitalism at its heart impacts all of this. It's a really interesting conversation. I really applaud you for, for getting up and sitting up and being willing to say a lot of that. You know, I think this this sort of openness is really important. Yeah. And, you know, we're data geeks. Like, let's get some data on the table. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so so that was that was actually one of the really funny things is I wrote an article for Model View Culture pushing people to share their their salaries on the on May first, and there was actually a bit of backlash from uh, from Gamergate. After a while, they were saying like, "Oh, this is all a ploy of of Shanley Cans," and what ended up happening I, was in the article I said like. I don't care what data we get when we start sharing this information. Like if we find out that women are making just as much money as men in in various fields, that's fine. But we need more concrete data to be able to, to make informed decisions about this. We need to have people that are, that are first coming into this field, whether it be through um, hacker schools or people that are self-teaching. Those people need to have a a good understanding of what their skills are worth in order to not undersell themselves. Like I hear, I've heard so many stories of people that graduate a hacker school and they're used to making like $11 an hour. And so when some, when a company drops a salary of like $40,000 an hour, or yeah, $40,000 an hour, that would be amazing. Wow. $40,000 a year, people are just like, oh my God, this is so much money. And they immediately will take that not realizing that like even as a junior developer, they could be making, depending on the area that they're living in, 60, 70, $80,000 a, a year. And so basically that's another thing that ends up leading to uh, marginalized individuals or underrepresented individuals to enter into that spiral from the very beginning. Like the unrealistic expectation of what their skills can bring is hugely impacts that first salary.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I we have a I I have heard of a company in Portland that uh, specifically targets the self-taught slash bootcamp audience, and they will they sign you into a two-year contract at thirty-five thousand. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah.
2: That is so predatory, and it.
0: Yeah, and and they do they do have a strong mentorship program where they're really I think trying to run that, but you know it's still like mm, really guys. I don't know all this stuff so have you recorded uh any of your pay talks yet or the lightning talk yeah
2: so the lightning talk was recorded if I were to dig around I could uh I could provide a link and I will probably email that to you all so that uh, it can be attached to things so that that talk was was recorded I have not given a talk about uh, like a long form talk about this although I'm a Going to be giving one in Toronto on July 11th for Toronto Alterconf, uh, which is funny because most of my information is based solely in like American history of labor, and so I get to, to <laughs> dig into Canadian uh, labor laws and uh, labor history. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that like it was kind of it was kind of funny because I started digging into it when the hashtag was was really going like so May 1st or 2nd. Um, But then but then kind of like that I, I kind of wasn't able to find the information I was looking for immediately. And now this is pushing me to like, broaden my horizons of what I what I know on that so that I can not sound like the the like self centered American that like only we're important. So that all the
0: countries view us as yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly. which is is really interesting actually. When we were at uh, Linux Fest, um, one of the one of our listeners came up to us and was talking about this exact thing. But he was from Poland, and he said, you know, where we are, we don't have the disparity in the tech field at all. Like even at the university level, like the classes are fairly split fifty fifty, and the salary diversity is all but non-existent from what he was saying. So that might be the international look of this might be really interesting. And like, I I love comparing what we're doing to other, you know, modern cultures, I guess, to uh, why it's working, why it's not working.
1: So one thing I wanted to ask, uh, we talked just before we started recording about the hashtag. And I mentioned that there are a couple Twitter accounts that will anonymously post your information if you direct message them. Do you run either one of those?
2: No, actually, I don't.
1: Or any of them, I guess. There might be more than two, but I saw two immediately.
2: I don't run any of them. That idea, I believe, started because of kind of a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, Stephanie Murillo, who started collecting DMs from people, uh, particularly people of color, and anonymously, anonymizing it so that there would be ah. less of a backlash against people of color. Sure. Um, sure. And so once... Once she started doing that, I think other people saw that and said, you know what, there's, we we can automate this. Um, and there's like, like, amusingly enough, somebody uh, fairly recently, if I remember, used one of these, uh used one of these Twitter bots to just say butts or something. So that was, <laughs> that was kind of funny. I, I knew, I knew that like the hashtag was, was going well when someone started using uh, a tool like that to, to just be snide or snarky or what have you so that was that was kind of funny but no I, I do not actually run any of them so that that all came about because of the conversation as a whole That's really which cool. for the yeah. i am super happy about
1: <laughs> i wonder if like if anybody listening to this to this show and is interested in participating in that talk pay because it's not just on may 1st but that'll probably be a yearly thing right you'll promote it like okay this may first talk pay or is it over
2: so I definitely want to continue this conversation going for as long as I possibly can. Right. Um there probably will be a push every May 1st Great. to to do that because uh not a lot of uh Americans know but May 1st is International Workers Day. Right. Uh which is which is why I picked that day uh, in particular basically as a as a way to kind of like bring american workers in particular into the fold of like a yearly celebration of of workers as uh, as a class so
1: if you do use the talk pay hashtag and i'm speaking to the audience <laughs> use also the hashtag hey or wtr so that we
0: know yeah that'd be great we'd lo- love to hear perhaps we should participate like i'm all for open uh,
1: open and transparency on salary but like at the same time, I I would I think I would prefer being anonymous because like I don't really want to post like to all my family what I what I make. Like that's still uncomfortable. I'd rather I'd rather people in the industry know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> more than I like my family. Yeah, I, it's an interesting part about American culture. We don't like talking about money. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh three things that we don't like talking about and they're also the three things we fight about the most, which is money, sex, and family. Yeah.
2: Can't live without any of those. <laughs> So what's, what's interesting is I, I kind of am still a little ambivalent about the, the anonymous contributions because, like, one of the things, uh, one of the reasons why I started the hashtag was basically to encourage people to attach their name to a number. And the reason why I wanted people to attach their name to a number is because there are already various services like Glassdoor and whatnot that'll, that give, like, ranges of salaries that that people can look at for if they want but what i found ends up happening is that people from underrepresented groups who see those salary ranges find it very difficult to justify being in the higher end of those salary ranges
0: especially in things where it's it's so huge a salary range i mean like yeah the developer salary can start at like 50 60 and ends up at 250
2: yeah exactly and so like a lot of people have have difficulty like putting themselves towards the towards the higher end of that and so what attaching names to to these numbers actually does is they allow you to look at people and say what does this person know or do that is worth so much more than what I would value myself at that ability to to look at that is absolutely critical in being able to give someone a realistic perspective of what they should be making. Because it's easy to say, oh, I don't deserve $120,000 a year because I don't have X, Y, and Z. But when you realize that your coworker is making that much and they maybe have a year more of experience than you, or maybe they actually have less experience than you, and you, look, you can look at the, like their work and whatnot, you have something to concretely compare it to that makes it a little bit easier to just say, you know what, I am worth that much money.
0: I totally agree. Before we go, is there anything else you wanted to throw out that the audience should follow you on or things you might be interested in that we should take a look at?
2: I don't know of anything in particular, but uh, if anybody is... <laughs> I. As a as a hobby, I like to to as I say play with fire, doing uh, fire poi and and fire breathing and whatnot, which is always entertaining. I don't know of any videos of me doing it, but those are always really interesting to watch people uh, play around with. Just if you're you're bored,
1: I actually I have an online friend that does that yeah, fire. I know somebody fire poi is very
0: awesome. That's very cool that you do that.
2: It's 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 a great feeling uh i'm not gonna lie but uh definitely don't just try to go out and do that by yourself yeah. uh there there are communities for that that will teach you how to do it with safely without setting yourself on fire and yeah. and definitely look around for that before trying how many
0: times have you set yourself on fire <laughs>
2: let's see i, I want to say about like three or four fortunately no accidents with fire breathing which is probably like the Ooh, most dangerous thing good. yeah yeah but I, I've like caught my hair on fire occasionally. I've I've like caught my pants on fire. The pants seems to be the most common one. Yeah, no that that one's that one's really really easy to to have happen because like if you don't have your your planes just right when doing poi, uh, they they will just brush past you, particularly in the very beginning of of a set when the the fuel's still very very fresh and and uh, easily transferable. So yeah
0: i used to play fire lookout for a friend so always have a friend at least
2: <laughs> yeah. fire 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 safety with a with a blanket ready ready uh, a fire retardant blanket uh ready at the ready to go so if you if you don't have that then you shouldn't be spinning so right awesome. but yeah so that, uh other other than that um no just nothing really i just am mostly just a giant uh socialist when it comes to, to pay transparency and workers' rights and what have you. But um I'm also uh I also update people quite a bit on the goings on in the trans community uh and the LGBT community as a whole. So Very cool. But that's that's pretty much me.
0: Well we sh- we shall have to keep an eye on hash pay or hash talk, talk pay. pay. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> hashtag talk pay. Pay. Yeah. you're getting yeah, there. there. I'm not a Twitterer. Twitter. I don't know <laughs> if that's a word, but Um, I do stalk people on Twitter, but that's about it. Um, So thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. We shall have to get together and chat more again.
2: All right. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can find the full transcription in the show notes going to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click on Women's Tech Radio and just scroll down and all the
0: the, uh, transcription is right there. Yep. You can also find us on iTunes, where if you've got a moment, please leave us a review. Let us know how you like the show or what we can do better. Uh, if you'd like to leave more direct feedback, you can contact us at WTR at jupiterbroadcasting.com or find us on the contact form at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You'll also find the RSS feed available there. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at HeyWTR. Thanks so much.